and welcome to the Periodic Fable, the podcast where we take a dive into the world of chemistry with me, Holland Wheatley. And me, me Bryony Parker. Oh, sorry. <laughs> We've never done it. We've never done that. I'm keeping it in. <laughs> I'm keeping it in. I think there was like a delay on the video. So I saw like, I saw, I saw like Bryony just station. was like, right, I'll go in. And then we both did it at the same time. Oops. I think it's fine. I, I may have sworn, so we could blank that out. But other than that... I'll put yeah. a beep in. I'll put a beep in. I'll try and find a beep. But I'm sure I've got a beep in the archive file somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> See, the joy of going first. I think we're not always together, are we, either? Anyway. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But, you know, when we do record together, we've normally got it yeah. spot on, but, you know. Anyway, anyway. How are you all? Oh, well. I don't want to talk now. See that hesitation. <laughs> I'm good. I'm yes, I'm good. <laughs> my God, my my computer went dark. Then I lost everything, but it's come back. I'm back. Yes, no IT issues. I'm very well, thank you. Yeah, very well. Good it's uh, yeah, a, a lovely mild Sunday afternoon up in Teesside. So yeah, I'm good. How how are you guys? I'm good, thank you. <laughs> um apologies if you hear any kind of um i don't know crowd noises there's a brentford match going on um and in the stadium near where i live so um i could actually hear the when you hear it when there's a goal scored you can hear the the sounds of from the crowd um and because the mic is so sensitive it actually picks up so yeah apologies if you hear that but um yeah i'm good Ooh. it's uh, i have my sister here for the weekend Oh, which was nice and so feeling very Christmassy went into central London so yeah hmm. looking forward to a break soon how about you Cameron uh yeah I'm good I'm good uh, on, the, on the topic of Christmas it's, it's looming um I I'm good other than I feel a tad stressed about Christmas present buying because I, I did so well I started off December the first weekend of December went out went to TK Maxx got some gifts walked around the Arndale in Manchester did some more and then I've done nothing since um, and now <laughs> it's getting close. So I think after recording this, I'm going to do a bit of online shopping. Nice. Try and, try and get there. You're how, not how, the how only one. Doing? <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, I'm pretty organized, but I know a lot of people <laughs> who aren't. So you're definitely not the only one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I feel like I've probably done more organizing this year, but I've probably feel the least organized. So like all my wife's presents, I'm, they, they're looking at me right now. Mm. And they're not wrapped. I'm not a great Christmas present wrapper. So my wife said, oh, just give me them in boxes. And I'm like, well, I feel like that's a cop out. But um, yeah, uh, she's she's not going to listen to this. I know she's not. But I bought her some Slipknot tickets yesterday. Oh, and that's I, know, sure. I mean, my wife, she she had a massive goth phase when she was younger. If you, if you look at my wife, she's this like quaint, elegant. You would not think Slipknot is in her arsenal. <laughs> It's certainly not in mine, but she mentioned it earlier. She was like, oh, I'd absolutely love to go and see Slipknot. I was, she was like, they were the band of my childhood. And I was like, who have I married? <laughs> wow. But yeah, so we're going next year to see them. And I'm saying this because I know fine well she won't listen to this before Christmas. <laughs> she tried and she said it was too sciencey. <laughs> so fair play. But yeah. Well, maybe we need so. to make it less sciencey, make it more accessible. <laughs> I say that, yeah, but my wife is into podcasts about like she watches vlogs of like people going to america and like trying out fast food restaurants and yeah that that's her fascination fair enough <laughs> <laughs> we don't really hit that mark do we we kind yeah. of we missed that one a little yeah. bit so maybe we're missing out maybe we should do this in different restaurants across the uk it's an idea maybe we'll get more sponsorship <laughs> that way i, I think so yeah i think so <laughs> that's the way to do it. yeah i think evie's the same she um she listens to a lot of like true crime kind of stuff, and Ooh. I think she, she listened to one about uh, uh, J.K. Rowling, the witch hunt of J.K. Rowling, which which was quite interesting. Do you know about mm. everything? The, the the whole um her issues with trans people mm. and that that oh, whole yeah, debate yeah, yeah. came up recently. And then supposedly, when she first started writing the books, um, there were people in America that were hating on it because they're very religious and. They were like, oh, she's a witch. She's promoting witch type lifestyles. <laughs> so she listened to that. So I think she she has tried as well to listen to our podcast. Um, but I agree. I think I'd be quite happy talking about a present on this. No, it is not going to get the spoiled. Which is well, I know my say. wife's not in the house, which which helps. If she was in the house, I wouldn't have said it. But yeah, I know she's, she's taken our little one out. So. Aww. <laughs> 
but yeah, no, it's a fun time of year. So yes, it is. Yeah, it is, and we will well, have some Christmassy things later on in this episode. Oh, that's we'll exciting! Have, that's like, exciting. We, we've got a Christmas quiz upcoming, which well. I think it might be chemistry related. I can't say I created it myself. I saw some about um, a barble and the word L. Oh God, I'm gonna embarrass myself. <laughs> now. What is it that L L L minor flask? I don't know. Okay, you're asking <laughs> not, the wrong people, Cameron. Yeah, we've slept since our chemistry degrees. Oh, yeah, I know. So. It's a type of beaker. I hear people say it in the lab here, but I can't seem to say it myself. Anyway, there's chemistry words in it. What does it look like? <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> Don't look at me. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, there's chemistry bits. That's, that'll do. That'll do. <laughs> Bring it on. Brill. Yeah. So, um, sorry, I've just put a skittle in my mouth. I realise it's really bad timing. <laughs> but, <laughs> um, obviously, this is, uh, we're wanting to do a bit of a Christmas special kind of get-together podcast before the end of the year. Um, no guests today, just the three of us. Um, there's a few things I think we want to discuss, isn't there? So I think it'll be great just to, you know, end the year nicely and, and talk about, you know, what's going on in the world of science, what we hope to get out of next year, and, um, yeah, all exciting. Yeah. So, so we'll kick off with just a little bit of a summary about COP28, because that happened, when did it finish? At some point, uh, middle last week, wasn't it? Um, and we, we've done COP-related episodes before, so we thought we could kick off with that and lead into a bit of a conversation around sustainability, the chemical industry. What does COP28 mean for the chemical industry, if anything? <laughs> so I've got a few notes on just a general summary of COP28, um, and there's one key point that I thought would be good to to kick off with um, and that's with the I think one of the main things that came out of this COP was around the wording for fossil fuels and how they should be phased out so something that I didn't know actually but in the past 30 years of climate negotiations around COP there has been no mention of the root cause of the climate crisis being mm. the burning of fossil fuels I had no idea of this um, but that's crazy so wow. this year was the first year that it was mentioned that we should have some wording in the agreement to say we're going to... Hmm. I, I think the initial idea was phase out fossil fuels, um, but on some countries, obviously the ones that get most of their money from oil and gas, so countries like Saudi Arabia, Iran, Iraq, and Russia, um, were very much against the wording of phasing out fossil fuels. Um, and the, the end wording that was agreed on was to transition away from fossil fuels in energy systems. Um, and although that might not seem too consequential, I think a lot of people thought that it's quite ambiguous and what this actually means. So I guess from, from face value, it could mean that we're going to say, okay, you can't use oil and gas to power things anymore. But there's a lot of other things that fossil fuels are, are used in as well. So mainly the making of chemicals and plastics and things like this. So... Yeah, I thought it'd be good to just kick off on this and, and what it means for the chemical industry if you've got countries that are saying, actually, we don't want to move away from monomers being produced from oil and gas. Mm. We want to keep having that. Um, and therefore, the move to bio-based <coughs> raw materials isn't going to become 100%. And I mean, I haven't seen the data, so I, I don't know if that's actually possible to do. Do we have the landmass to create all of our plastics from? bio-based raw materials yeah. um <laughs> i see how i'm shaking his head Go on, <laughs> but yeah i think <laughs> it's, yeah i think it's a really good good um conversation point because i think it's great to say can we move away from oil, oil and glass 100 percent um where yeah it's uh it's such an interesting debate and i think it will always be an interesting debate i think um you know, for me, when we talk about biofuel, when we talk about bio sources, um, you know, I can only speak from my you know, own experience, but it's making, you know, bio-based or biodegradable plastics is a completely different process to how, you know, conventional plastics are made now. And I know that a lot of chemical businesses have, 
you know, made the decision not to go down that route because there's negligible ed- evidence that, you know, biodegradable is better because of the the effect of, you know, you only have to look at hemp how, uh, carrier bags versus paper carrier bags versus single-use plastic bags. You know, the actual overall impact for the planet based off of water use or based off of the intense nature at which things can be farmed or processed. Mm-hmm. There's arguments to say a plastic bag would be better, but obviously you see the visual impact of having plastic there. Um, and we all know that plastic is derived from oil. I think when we talk about biofuels, there's tons of different arguments that, that could come into it. I think you need to always ensure that you're not competing in the food chain, otherwise you're kind of mm-hmm. robbing Peter to pay Paul. You're taking you know, potential animal kind of habitats away, things mm-hmm. like that. You know, I know there's, there's work going on with tal oil, which is kind of the secondary processing from pulp and paper, which which could use potentially but how much of there is that in the world i fraction probably not a lot um i think then you've also got the impact of um you know if you are competing in the food chain or if you're using something like used cooking oil from mcdonald's for instance and you make plastic or or you use it to burn raw materials that make glass do you then have another problem where you can't say that it's not vegan or vegetarian because it's come from Mm. cooking animals so there's so much debate going on um and then that kind of asks the question are they really more sustainable mm-hmm. or do we need a whole kind of culture shift um it's yeah it's it's a debate that we could probably talk for talk through for hours and hours and hours um i'm still convinced the answer lies in that industry i think the answer will come from that chemical industry but i think it'll come from not pressure from government but support mm-hmm. supporting research supporting you know academia supporting startups to collaborate and work with this industry and kind of the whole mindset needs to change um but how that looks is anyone's guess mm. yeah i can't believe that that they've not actually addressed the root cause of it before so that's at any cop they've not actually talked about the real reason for climate change the root cause nope. yeah nope. it's just shocking isn't it and i i wonder if it was a political decision where we have to get so much of the the population the public or the countries kind of committed first and then yeah. start to introduce things like this because if it's you try to call on saudi arabia to join cop mm. 15 and say we're actually gonna stop your country from making money in yeah. 20 years time it's see you kind of understand it but also how much is it greed talking versus mm. actually we need to support the people in our country yeah. I imagine it's the, the former but <laughs> we'll see um, yeah it's um, yeah I, I think for me and I think I don't know maybe I'm probably disengaged from COP26 because I think you know certainly the cops that I've paid attention to they just seem like talking shops and I think you know I found a very good article from a journalist for the New York New York Times and he's basically said you know answering it is one thing but he's basically said you know to limit warming to 1.5 degrees um it requires entirely eliminating all emissions just after 2040 we're nowhere near nowhere near and he's basically said that, you know, the claims of COP28 were that we've kept the 1.5 degree rise goal alive, but hardly anyone believes it's still plausible. That's how the quote finishes. And it kind of feels like that. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's especially a, 2040 as well, because most countries are saying 2050 is the date. 2050, yeah. And China, yeah. I think it's China 2050, 2060, maybe. In mm. India's 2060, I think, and yeah. some of those are the biggest emitters. So it's yeah, and it's I've I've always got this kind of this consciousness of you know one of the things I always spoke about when I spoke about plastic waste was, um, you know one of the biggest reasons for plastic waste is you know Western countries like Britain and countries in Europe sending their waste to like to far the Far East and places like that, and there's a whole cultural shift about how we use material. Um, consumer habits are appalling in 
the UK, but even worse in the US, the throwaway culture is what we've all been brought up on. Um, but then, you know, when we look at the global stage and the fight to have economic superpowers, you know, the likes of Saudi, the likes of China, the likes of, you know, places like Brazil where these and India where these up and coming economies are growing. Um, we were never limited in our industrial revolution. You know, it helped mm -hmm. grow Britain's economy and it's actually, it feels like we should be collaborating on a global scale together mm -hmm. as opposed to saying, well, nothing's going to change if Saudi Arabia or India or China don't change their ways. If, if anything, it should be more of a collaborative push to make sure that they can still grow whilst making the planet better. It's, it's such a catch-22. Yes. And yeah. it's so it's so difficult as well because you there's so many well not everybody is a scientist and not everybody understands I don't I'm a chemist but I don't understand I don't know I couldn't tell you what plastic is in my plastic food packaging um and so how do we how do you expect people to know what's what that is if it's is either plastic or it's not I think for most people if it's plastic or does that mean it can be recycled or, or can it not or or is that just going to create more energy um, waste because I'm now putting something in that can't be recycled and it's then, I mean, it means that all of that batch has got to go to landfill. I, I don't know how it works, but it just it just seems really sad that it's just not very clear. And um, I know I mentioned this earlier, but I think one of the things they, they brought to COP28 was the climate finance point, or one of the key takeaways was the climate finance. And I find that really interesting because there is a level of doing your bit and we can all do our bit and, you know, and some people maybe do more than others, but, um, you know, it's all about education as well and how can we encourage others to do more. But um, you can't go, you can't expect every person on the planet to, you know, religiously put the right thing in the right box. And, and then even that, then only 20% of stuff gets recycled or something like that, which is ridiculous. Um and in Sweden, they have some kind of return deposit system for plastic bottles and metal cans. So any manufactured bottles and cans must be included in the approved scan. Otherwise, you pay an environmental penalty fee. That's for the manufacturers. But then for the consumer, you return it and you get your money back or you get, a, you know, I don't know what the equivalent is, but um, you'd get some money back. So I, I, it seems like a really obvious idea. I don't, I don't understand why there's not more of that. Mm-hmm. They have something like that yeah. in Germany as well, don't they? And I've been to yeah, Berlin, they do, and so in Holland. Glass, glass collection. Yeah, things. the deposit return schemes. Yeah, it's it's a funny one actually. Um, so the glass industry themselves have actually lobbied very, very hard in the UK not to have deposit return schemes. Um, and the reason is probably not what you think, but um, the UK government has, has heavily invested in curbside recycling, um, and county by county, it differs um but on a whole the uk we're pretty good at recycling um recycling rates of materials in the uk you know are quite high compared to other parts of the world mm -hmm. some places do it better but um glass for instance there's a lot of pressure on glass makers to use increased levels of recycled glass because it's more energy efficient it you know using more recycled material is is better but it's also it, it has you know efficiency advantages as well um the worry from the glass industry is that if we put deposit return schemes in we dilute the stream of glass that's available to them so they think that if you have two streams then the quality of the one they've already got would dip and then there's the core question of supply chain but with the government as well they've obviously they've already invested so the way that the recycling centers in the uk work the government effectively pay the recycling centers over a long period of time so the recycling businesses like your violias or your biffers or whoever they are renewi um they would pay for a center and the government would pay them back over 25 years but they have to hit certain targets of recycling um the government wouldn't want to give tesco and the likes incentives as well as these big recyclers to then tell consumers to start putting things back and taking them back to the shop um you couple that again i've already mentioned it consumer trends in the uk are very different to germany and holland mm -hmm. um you know germany and certainly in holland i found it so staggering you know they do three shops a week because they only buy what they need whereas we always do a weekly shop or a monthly shop 
So you could argue, well, yeah, you could just take your bottles back. But the whole thing is, you know, in Holland or Germany, you fill your crate up and once it's full, you're either going to the shop that day or you're probably going tomorrow. You just take it with you. Mm-hmm. Whereas it, it, there's so much gone into it. But, you know, just going back to your earlier point, Brianie, the whole can I recycle it, can I not? In America, they see big challenges with that. Mm-hmm. And it's called wish cycling, where they find that consumers want to do their bit. But the you'd be surprised at how poor America is at recycling. Mm-hmm. And people try and do it. And then, like you say, it, it's not so much that it contaminates it because these, you know, the recycling facilities they should be able to sort it and manage it. Mm. But because a lot of people recycle things that they shouldn't recycle, it does cause yeah. for lots of, of mm. excess waste. So it's, yeah, it's it's huge, huge challenge. And, and one that I'm working on with the glass industry at the minute, we're working with one of our brands in the US to um, try and help some of that. But it's challenging. Do you think there is a big element of consumer education? Like how can you tell people you know we need to get somebody on the tv that just says right this is you know this is what this hard plastic is and this is this can't be recycled this can be just to explain it and I feel like it would I feel like something like that could go a long way I think I mean I think they should and I think in the UK when we look at it most of the plastic that we would probably use on a day-to-day basis can be recycled it's more when it's it's contaminated with food waste, yeah. that tends to probably make it worse. So it's like if you've got a plastic packaging that's had food in it, probably can't be recycled. Mm-hmm. If it's, you know, quite heavy food that's stuck in there, that tends to make what would normally be recyclable, non-recyclable. But there are ways and means, and I think I think it's a double-pronged push. We want all of our consumers to recycle. And, you know, I think as a, as a, as a kind of civilization, we're getting better but we need the technology to catch up. Yeah. You know, if we could chemically recycle everything, mm. then we could throw everything out into the same bin. Mm. Um, but I think businesses need to offer more solutions. It's one of the things Sabic became, you know, very good at was offering, they called it design for recyclability. So if you find a good example would be what you get your apples in, a six pack of apples and you'd rip the plastic up and the plastic would normally have multiple layers of different plastics. Now, the layers, each one of the layers brings a different property. So one will give you an oxygen barrier. One will give you, you know, the strength. One will give you the tear ability. And so that's why they add them. Um, But the problem is if you've got one that's polyethylene and then you've got one that's, you know, not a polyethylene, a polypropylene or a PVC layer, which is normally what's used to wrap food, that makes it really, really difficult to recycle. Mm -hmm. So Savic started looking for, you know, multi-layered solutions of the same monomer which not monomer but you know the same monomer based material so polyethylene based you know multiple layer solutions which would make it so much easier to recycle mm. i sound like a chemist don't i <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's a big thing isn't it at the moment with um, plastic recycling is it how far can you go on mechanical and then at what point do you bring in chemical is chemical mm. already yeah. A, a big emitter when it comes to the actual processing side of it. I had a couple of interesting yeah. conversations with people in the polyamide industry about this. What are their views on the different types of recycling? And I think one person from a big company said that, yeah, you know, for us, it only makes economical and um, kind of sustainable sense to do chemical recycling once you've had about three or four rounds of mechanical recycling and then you bring it in when the, the plastic's so bad the properties are so yeah. poor that at that point you just need to break it up, rip it apart to its monomers again and then mm. reuse it, which I thought was interesting. Yeah, I really like... I find that interesting, that mechanical versus chemical recycling because really once you chemically recycle it, it's back to virgin polymers again and you just repeat the process. There's no, you don't need any more um, taken from anywhere else. You just reuse that. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's super energy intensive though. It's just the challenge you've got. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's kind of, and this is for me, this is the challenge that I was a plastic waste and climate change closely linked because of the processes, but very different challenges. Mm. And it's like, for me, I think plastic and I work in the glass industry now and everyone in the glass industry loves glass and tells me how super glass is and how it's <laughs> the material of the future. 
I always say you can't live without plastic. Can't live without glass. We can't live without aluminium. We need them all. And we need them all in the right application. Mm. Um, yeah, that's the thing. It's not, you know, we can't move away from plastic. That's not the plastic is the problem, but we, we've created that problem and we need now to find a way that we can still use that because it's it, you can't just get rid of plastic you can't stop hospitals from using plastic you can't you know, oh, and, so much safer. and a hygiene and you, you can't move away from plastic you have to we have to think of another way and i say we yep. um i won't be the one um making those no, very clever I. decisions <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, we as a uh, as a globe um yeah it's, um yeah very interesting stuff yeah. It is. It is. And that transition away from fossil fuels in there as well, because at what point is it going to be cheaper to use chemically recycled monomers versus fossil fuel based ones, which is it's a very cheap thing to do to dig st stuff out of the ground um, <laughs> and convert it into in, into whatever it is by burning it. Mm. Um, but then yeah. there's another way, isn't there, Bryony? You've been working on this um, Fleet of Chem projects, which is a yeah. way of extracting things from the earth, but use another way so is that is that co2 based chemicals yeah so um flutechem is sort of taking flu gases and i don't work on the project directly but um sei uh, are uh, part of the collaborative project mm -hmm. with others like unilever and bsf and um yeah it's basically the the technology is ccu so um not storing it but utilizing the um carbon that's captured um and just creating a circular economy and it's so much more um, economically and envir environmentally more efficient um, to do it that way. And um, yeah, CCU, I think, is a, it's a fascinating um, technology. And um, if that can be, um, obviously, the Flutechem project is a, two, I think it's a two-year project. Um, and yeah, I think, I think that's the future, the CCU. I think it's brilliant. I mean, I know, oh, I remember learning at school about carbon capture, utilisation and storage. That's the full... Um, acronym and then there's carbon capture and utilization so without the storage and that's just like taking the the carbon from the flue gases and converting them into um feedstocks again so yeah really interesting and obviously that's what darren was talking about because bsf are obviously in that project too so we had darren on the pod podcast not long ago he was talking about that too so um yeah really interesting um and like you say um something that is that was talked about at COP as well. Mm -hmm. So is this taking basically carbon cap, uh, sorry, captured CO2 as well as probably, I'm guessing, syngases and yeah. doing some whole weird and wonderful, because you won't want the CO2, will you? You'll want to turn it into CO with hydrogen, so be some water shift yeah, reaction with Fischer some Fischer-Tropsch yeah. and then... Yeah, going through crackers. I mean, if BSF want to pay for it, fair play, because <laughs> that's like tens of billions of pounds worth of capital equipment. Fair play. But that's what we need. That's what we need. We need to reinvent the whole value chain to make it circular. Yeah. Yeah, I was reading an article somewhere that was saying that there's in the past five years, the chemical industry has spent 60 to 90 billion on new plants to produce sustainably related products. I don't actually know what that term sustainably related means. So there could be potentially some greenwashing around there, but it's a, it's a good amount of cash that they've gone into it. Probably nowhere near enough that needs to be spent because um, that's across the whole globe. So I guess 60 billion across the globe. Uh, Sounds like a lot. Uh, I've, I've, I'm having a look here. I mm. don't know if there is Fisher Trops in it because it's carbon dioxide is converted into components of an alkoxyl surfactant, <coughs> which then makes cleaning products and coatings. So different chemicals. That'll be a be catalyst. Hence Unilever. Yeah. That makes yeah. sense. Fair enough. enough about the processes, but um, yeah, you guys are much more um, associated no. with this. False. <laughs> False. <laughs> False. Stop it, Browning. False. <laughs> you were talking the talk earlier. <laughs> All I'm going to say is this Christmas quiz is going to show exactly <laughs> where I'm at in terms of chemistry. So, yeah. in terms of decarbonisation, some not so positive news from my neck of the woods. The um, red car had been planned. So, red car is 
probably 15, 20 minutes away from where I am right now. And it had been planned to be the first hydrogen village in the UK. It. Wow. Yeah. Recently. Yeah. So B- BP are building a, um, I think it's the UK. If it's not the UK, it might be Europe. And if it's not Europe, it might be the world's biggest hydrogen production unit making blue hydrogen. So um, steam methane reforming with a carbon capture unit on the end. And what makes me laugh is it's the biggest one, wherever it's the biggest one. It'd probably run a glass plant for about two months, like with its yearly output. That's kind of how much hydrogen we're going to need for heavy industry to make it better. But we'll get there. We'll get there. But yeah, so that was planned to be in in Redcar, not far from me. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's been scrapped. The government have scrapped it. And they're saying, they're touting that it was because of... um, supplies saying that they couldn't guarantee supplies to change it over but actually there's been a lot of backlash in the local area about it more about safety Mm -hmm. um is that valid or do you think that's just consumer mindsets i I think it's it's a bit of both yeah i think there's a lot of reluctance to do it um they're saying that there's um explosive Gases produced, and they're saying that there could be some nitrous oxide in there. Um, I'm, yeah, I don't know. I think, I mean, I'm not a believer that hydrogen is going to be the answer, truthfully. I don't think, personally, I don't think we've got anywhere near enough green energy to start talking about making it. But even proving it as a concept, I think, like I've mentioned you know, a five megawatt hydrogen facility on Teesside that could power a glass plant, one glass plant for, you know, three months. It tells you how far we've got to go. And I just think there's technologies that exist that we should focus on more. And I think getting more green energy, I'm a firm believer the electric, electrifying processes is the way. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, I know that Sabic and BASF have committed to the e-cracking furnace to make olefins and polyolefins using electric based cracking i think that's that's a sign of where we're going but i mean it's going to be a mix of solutions isn't it it's going to be not going to be one it's going to be several but i just think hydrogen's going to be expensive what did, did something happen you dropped out sorry no you had to <laughs> did i oh well, sorry it froze sorry. actually rather than dropped out but yeah we weren't oh, sure if you, yeah, but you came back we both just looked at each other all like, oh, what's going on? It's fine. I can't we even hold still. So is that what, when you're yeah. talking about electricity, is that what um, a lot of the work you do now, Hallam, around trying to make the glass industry more sustainable? Is that focused around electric, electrically based um, technologies to replace like, fur- like old furnaces and that kind of thing? So we're looking at, so our furnace that Glass Futures are building, which you'll both have to come and have a look around when it's built next year, um, it's going to focus on alternative fuels. So 80% of the carbon output of a glass bottle is from the fuel used to produce the glass, so from the raw material. The other 20% tends to come from the raw materials, so there's quite a lot of carbonate-based material in there. Once you burn it, obviously you get CO and CO2. Um, because of that, this this iteration of the furnace that we're building is going to be more, more focused on alternative fuels. So we are going to look at hydrogen. We're going to be able to run 100% hydrogen. We're going to be able to run biofuels, um, natural gas, blends of all three, but then we're going to have a pretty extensive boost system. So because glass melts um, in contact with the furnace, so it's touching the walls of the furnace, what we have is we have boost systems. So basically there are electrodes that stick in the bottom of the furnace. And obviously as the hot glass kind of circulates around the electrodes what happens is the hot glass rises the cold glass comes down so you get a convection which makes the 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 melt more efficient um kind of the standard average and again this differs place to place but boost in the uk for glass industry is about five to ten percent boost in furnaces we're going to be able to run up to 80 percent and we're working on a project at the moment which is public so i can talk about it but i'm just going to say it's with our partner and government to look at you know what happens on a glass plant if you know when everyone's asleep and the drain on the grid isn't much you raise the boost to 80 percent and how quick can you do that can you do that quickly what impact does it have on a glass furnace you know Mm -hmm. does it cause 
tons of issues. But then conversely, what happens when you switch, which switch it back? So when everyone's waking up at seven in the morning, can you easily drop the boost level down? So that's some of the work we're going to do now. Um, because of the contact melt that happens in glass, you tend not to have... There are electric furnaces. It's been done for ages, but they, they're limited by scale. You know, they're, they're a lot smaller than your standard bottling furnace. Um, and they tend to be, you feed in from the top and the electrodes are at the bottom and the glass melts through, like goes down through the through the floor. Um, that tends to be how electric furnaces work. Mm-hmm. Again, I'm not an expert on, I'm not an expert on glass, but electric furnaces in glass there. It's the reason that your big glass plants haven't gone for it because they're limited by size. So you tend to find electric melting in more like um, like fiber optic cable and things like that right. where the furnaces aren't as big. So, but yeah, it's probably going to be more difficult in glass, but it's not going to be impossible. Someone will find a way because mm. they always do. That sounds fascinating. So, yeah, mm. I just saw that the hydrogen council had, um, had done a, a report on COP28 and um the flagship initiatives had been launched to accelerate commercialization of hydrogen to keep the 1.5 degrees target within reach and to unlock the socio-economic benefits that of cross-border value chains for hydrogen and its derivatives um so yeah another big topic at cop it seems yeah yeah it's when we stand back and talk about it it gets quite upsetting doesn't it i don't want to say depressing that's not the right word but it does um it's like climate anxiety isn't it that they talk about um people feel a bit helpless and don't really know what the right answer is but it seems that you know um is there a right answer or is it just a we're all trying to do work on different things in parallel and see whatever works best sooner yep Exactly. One person that I heard on a podcast who was a bit more chipper than most people. Um, <laughs> have you listened to the the leading um, podcast with no. um, the guy who used to be or might still be the Bank of England Canadian guy? Um, basically, I, I, I'm not going to be able to find or Google the context, so that's all. That's all you get the context for it. But he. Um, <laughs> He, I think he's been working in finance for his whole life and worked at one of the big banks in America, maybe Goldman Sachs, something like this. And he was, I think they were talking about sustainability and climate change, and he was pretty chipper about it just because of the amount of money that's pouring into new technologies. Obviously, there's there's still a lot of investments in oil and gas, but he said the, the investments going into renewable energy, um, the trajectory for it's incredible. So it's oh. not that things aren't happening. Um, and I think he's dedicating his career to this now, but it's it's just probably going to take a long time. Yeah. Um, something that I saw, probably the only positive summary of COP this year I saw was that it was saying that renewables are on the rise and there's a, a deal was called for countries to triple their renewable energy capacity by 2030. Mm. So that, that was a good outcome. Again, I guess it's all relative to what their initial capacity was. If you're going from 1% to 3%, that's not great. But if you're at 20% and you go into 60%, then it's... Uh, a different story yeah but yeah that was one one good thing i saw yeah there's lots of good things going on i guess we don't always hear about the the smaller you know not smaller but the other projects that are going on um because there are it's such a huge topic now and so many people are interested in it invested in it and um right and rightly so um Mm -hmm. that it's yeah it's um there's so much going on it's hard you can't know everything and so it's nice to hear the positive side as well because I think there is there definitely is hope and um yeah there are scientists as well and who are who are key players in this as well so um have mm-hmm. faith in them too <laughs> yeah for sure um and staying on that point should we do this I was gonna say yeah should we do this quiz yeah. <laughs> staying on a slightly more positive note should we yeah should we should we bring the bring the mood back up with the let's do it quiz? okay so how do you want to do it do you want to do you know the answers could, Cameron write, yeah I've got the answers so we could write the answers down but I feel like to make it a bit more interactive with people listening should we just do it question by question and then we can just let's do it yeah so, let's so do I'll, give, I'll give the answer straight after the question and maybe yeah you can raise your left hand and your right hand or just We'll, we'll go between each other saying who, what they think it is. Let's do it that way. 
Cool. Um, so again, not taking um, any. Uh, I didn't write this. I actually found this on a website. It's a blog called The Chronicle Flask, which is quite a good. Um, <laughs> another, another, I love it. I love it. <laughs> So yeah, we're in good company with the writer of this uh, of this blog this <laughs> quiz. Oh, and the person who wrote it's actually called she's called Doctor Cat Day. Quite similar to my name. Ah. But yeah, so there are ten questions in the quiz, and I might skip the first question because I think it's just brutal, and I have. <laughs> I had absolutely no idea. So maybe that's just saying you can just laugh at me if okay. you have no idea as well, just like I did. Um, cool. So question one. Which scientist invented a chemical test that can be used to coat the inside of baubles with silver? So there's three names. So I think it's, a, it's all multiple choice, actually. So it'll make it a bit easier for you. Thank God for yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, which scientist invented a chemical test that can coat the inside of baubles with silver? Was it Bernard Tollens? Carl Mobius, great name, or Emil Erlenmeyer. That's a, that's a word I was trying to say earlier. I don't think it's because Tollens rings such a bell that I want to say that, but I think it, I, I'm going to go with Tollens. I'm going to go with B, the great name. Carl Mobius. Yeah. I would have done one. the same, but unfortunately for Helen, but positively for... For Brian, it was Bernard Tollins. Yes. Well done. Question one. Well done, Brian. Are, are we making a... Well, I'm going to start making points on my phone. Okay. Yeah. Oh, we're doing scores? Yeah, oh, we are, well, we are now. Stop playing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you could, because I've... Uh, I've uh, I'm flicking between two pages here. Um, but, Alan, you said on the quiz, the science teacher was Carl Mobius of Bernard Tollins, so they were related, which is fun. Well, there we go. One nil to Brian. Not for long. No. <laughs> okay, no. question two. Reindeer eat moss, which contains arachidonic acid, but why is it beneficial to them? <laughs> a, it's a laxative. B, an antifreeze. Or C, a spider repellent. It's got to be a laxative. Surely. I'm going to... Antifreeze. Well, that would make sense, wouldn't it? Well, <laughs> that's got to be a joke, right? Um, I'm guessing we can say the same thing, can't we? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah well, that's good. Go, 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 you go. I'll go antifreeze. If it's if it's a joke answer, it's funny. It is actually antifreeze. Yes, it's a natural antifreeze. Which I had to limit my swear words. Then, <laughs> wow. I don't even know what that means. How can you eat something and it stops? What does it stop freezing? Is it? I guess maybe like the the sweat or the 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 skin. Maybe I don't know. It stops the snow from like freezing to the fur. Maybe I don't know. That's crazy. Isn't it? Amazing. A lot of learning today. Yep. <laughs> I'm not happy. Oh, I am. <laughs> so we're two now at the moment. Question three. Which chemical makes crackers and party poppers go crack? Is it A, gunpowder, B, silver fulminate, or C, nitrogen triiodide? I think it's got to be A, right? But not in the... It's the same chemical process that creates the pop, right? So it can't be... Can't be something with silver. No, it'd be too expensive, yeah. wouldn't it? People would start collecting them. Yeah, and what's the third? What was the third one? Oh, the iodide. I don't think... Ni yeah. Nitrogen triiodide, which, as a chemical, I mean, I don't know if it influence your answer, but I don't know how that would form. No, I'll go with A. It, sound like... it could form, couldn't it? Because ammonia is NH3, isn't it? Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, you are. Is it quite stable then? So Protons are positive. I guess if you've got an ID in, in a plus one form, then maybe, but I just... Yeah. I've just never seen it in my life. 
Um, part of me wants to go with the nitrogen just to see, but I don't think it is. What have you gone for, Bryony? Gone for A. What was the answer to A again? Gunpowder. Gunpowder. I think it's gunpowder. Yeah, gunpowder. The answer is B, silver fulminate. Really? Get get collecting them crackers. (laughs) (sighs) I love how we both just wrote that answer off. Yeah. (sighs) The logic worked for the first two questions. Okay, so neither of us got that one. We all like a glass of champagne at this time of the year. But what's in the bubbles? Carbon dioxide, nitrogen, or oxygen? Carbon dioxide. It's got to be carbon dioxide. But now he's asked it, it's got to be nit. I'm trying to not make a facial expression because I don't want to. It's got to be carbon dioxide. It's got to be. Mine, then again, it's not. No, you know what? I'm going nitrogen because it's not carbonated, is it? Is that your final answer? Is did they make it did they make it a different way? Yeah, I'm going finance. I'm going I'm going nitrogen. I'm going B. It's not it can't be oxygen because that would make it oxidize. A for me. A carbon dioxide. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm swearing, I don't even care. That's I'm gonna fine. beep it out. It's Christmas. You can swear if you want. <laughs> That's wound me up. I'm going to delete this. This isn't this. This <laughs> section isn't going to come out. It's just the score at the end because it, it was obviously carbon dioxide. I've thr- obviously, I've thrown you with the silver and the bloody antifreeze. You have. I'm sorry. If you'd have asked that first, I'd have been. I'd have had a point. Yeah. Cat day. You've got a lot to answer for. <laughs> Question five. What's a key ingredient in those lovely bath salts you bought for your grandma? <laughs> <laughs> These questions. Okay. Uh, A, calcium carbonate. B, magnesium sulfate. Or C, citric acid. Say say them again. Calcium carbonate, magnesium sulfate, or citric acid. It's got to be calcium carbonate, doesn't it? What was the last one? Citric acid. In the in the what the bath bombs like. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna say magnesium sulfate. Yeah. I'm gonna say the same. Because <laughs> if Brian gets a fight, then so do I. Oh no. This is where I get it wrong. You're both right. Magnesium sulfate. Hey! Got a point. We've got a point. We've got a point. We're all good. 4-1. Okay, we've got four four questions to go. No, four questions to go. I can catch up, Bryony. I can catch up. Wait, have you got a point? Yeah, we both got a point there. Oh, yeah, sorry. I was wondering what question it was that you got. (laughs) Neither of us got three. Never mind, sorry. I'm very competitive. Six, go on. Oh no, five to go actually. So there's lots of chance for, for movement. Which chemical Bring reaction is responsible for both perfectly brown biscuits and crispy golden turkey? The, I've heard this. The Maillard or Maillard reaction, the Hodge reaction, or the caramel reaction? I know the answer, but I'm going to let Brownie go first. <laughs> <laughs> so, Maillard, the Hodge. Hodgson? Hodge. Hodge. Just Hodge and then caramel. Well, caramel doesn't sound very scientific, nor does it make sense because it might be a caramel colour, but it's not caramelising. It's burning in a way. So I think I'm going to say Maillard. That's what I would have said. You're right, you're both right. It's what makes a steak. Yeah. Get colour. Interesting. Question seven. Where are you most likely to find this molecule at this time of the year? Oh, that's not helpful at all. This is a picture of a molecule. Um, Describe it. 
Um, there's, a lot, there's lots of balls and chains. Let me you see. can share your screen oh, as long as it doesn't have the answer. That's true, actually. Shall I do that? It's not going to be very helpful for any of our listeners. Uh, it's fine. But I think that's the only thing because there's another question later on uh, like this. Yeah. Sorry to everyone listening. I'm, I'm now trying to figure out how to share my screen on our, on our app. Um, here we go. Oh, gee whiz. I know. <laughs> Stop. I think it's had a benzene ring in it. Mm. No, because that's cut. Can't be benzene because it's got things attached to it. <laughs> also, the, it's not all carbon, is it? What's the red and the black? No. They're different atoms. Yeah. Are any of them carbon? Oh yeah, the, if they've got hydrogen in them, they will. Burn. I, think, I, I, I presume it would have. The red carbon. ones, oxygen. I think the black ones are carbon, yeah, aren't yeah, they? Yeah. Carbon and oxygen. Oxygen, yeah, because they've got two attached. Holy smokes! We need an organic chemist in here to try and name it. Oh. I think I know. So the for those oh, listening, I not that it's going to help you, but it, it's either a roast beef joint, it's in the wrapping paper, or it's in the Christmas cake, and it's a pretty, pretty complex looking set of blobs. Oh, I'm going to go with C in the Christmas cake. I'd have said C because it doesn't look like it's not like a fatty acid. It's got alcohol groups on it. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. So I thought maybe like with the alcohol group that could be something if it's referring to like I don't know if that's a stupid thing to say, but in the in the alcohol of the cake, some of the Christmas cakes have That's what I would have gone for. Yeah. Okay. Christmas cake, we're both saying C. I'll stop sharing now so I can go to the answer. It is See, it's in the cake. Yay! It's, it's sucrose, table sugar. Oh, is it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, we got the OH group. Yeah. We spotted that. Okay, three questions left. We did. I think we're on six. Uh, six, three. I've got... Yeah, but the last question's the real one. The last question's like, when it takes all. Yeah, okay. Sure. Sorry, Brownie. I've got to find a way. <laughs> Question eight. Let it snow, let it snow, let it snow. But which fact about pure water is true? So a, it glows when exposed to ultraviolet light. C, uh, B, it expands as it freezes. Or C, it's a good conductor of electricity. Wow. Pure water. I think it's C. I'm going to say B expands when it freezes because that's true, right? That's what happens. But then that's not pure, always pure water. That's rainwater, which isn't pure. I don't know. I'm going to go with B. What do you say, Helen? C. C. The answer is B. It expands as it freezes. <laughs> And I think they're, yeah. I'm limiting myself from swearing. <laughs> I'm really proud of myself. This is supposed to be an unhappy note. What well, it is for me. I know, I'm sorry. No. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> okay, is this question nine next? Yeah, yeah, we're nearly there. We're nearly done it. Okay, it's another molecule one. You'd be really glad to know. So... Where are you likely to find this molecule on New Year's Eve? Champagne bottle, in the party poppers, or in the first foot of coal? Um, it's a methane group attached to another carbon atom with two hydrogens on it. Is that and ethanol? Then oxygen and a hydrogen atom. It's got to be in the champagne bottle. Yeah. 
champagne bottle. It's ethanol, hey, isn't it? Yeah. It was a much easier chemical question than the first one, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> um, it's yeah. in the champagne. It's ethanol. Yay. Um, cool. So then, winner takes all. Final question. Who's ready? Yeah. Double or quits? Yeah. Brandy's on eight. I'm on four. So. Double or nothing. Let's go. £20 on it. Who doesn't love a firework or two on New Year's Eve? But which element is most commonly used to produce the colour green? Is it magnesium? Sodium or barium? Silence. I don't know. I don't know. A lot of thought going into it. It's something you used to do, isn't it? You used to burn burn the metal in high school. Yeah, but I don't remember. But yeah, which one does what? (laughs) I don't know. Magnesium, sodium or barium? Yeah. Those are the options. Hmm... Green. Is that the that's the colour, right? Green, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think I'm gonna say Oh, I don't know. Everything's on the line. You got any thoughts, Helen? No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking at my periodic table. It's giving me absolutely nothing. None of them are transition metals, are they? No, alcohol. I don't know why that's important. <laughs> I don't know why that was important. Magnesium. I haven't got a Scooby. I'm going to go magnesium A. I'm going to go sodium because shit it. One of us has to be right. One of us has to be wrong. I think. It's going to be the other one, isn't it? The answer is Seabarium. Sorry. I nearly said it. Shits and giggles. (laughs) I thought Barium was orange. That's where. There you go. And there's the quiz. Wow, yay. Well done, Spurs. Well done, Brownie. Both brilliant sports. Next time, I'll I've got to delete a lot of swear words. <laughs> I know that. That was fun. Thanks, Cameron. It was fun. That's what I did yesterday after feeling very sorry for myself after our work still on Friday night. I was sat on the couch. <laughs> I had welcome to Wrexham on because that's always now quite, usually quite nice and happy. And I was Googling chemistry quizzes. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, good one it was. Thanks. thanks Christmas themed chemistry. That's brilliant. We got to tell Freya about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. How was her show, by the way? Oh, it was brilliant. Oh, yeah, I forgot to talk to you about that. It was really yeah. good. Yeah, so I went to Twickenham, um, the exchange, and uh, yeah, she was she was really good. Um, I didn't get to speak to her afterwards, though, um, which is a shame, but I imagine she's, it was quite late, so everyone kind of just leaves, don't they, straight after a show. There was no kind of moment to hang around, but yeah, it was really good. She's really funny. Um yeah, so hopefully you guys get to see her at some point. Um, I don't know when she's next touring. She might, if she does the fringe again, I'll definitely try and go up and see her there. Um, but yeah, it was really good. Yeah, really funny. She didn't do any chemistry jokes though. Oh, brilliant. Um, which she did warn. Oh, Freya, we have to. I have know a word. she did warn me about it. Before, <laughs> we have to. Have it was still. She's. I mean, yeah, she's a she's a great comedian. So, um, I wanted to see funny. her anyway. But yeah, it was it was fab. Brill. Brill. Oh, well, it's a fun episode. Hey. It was a fun episode. I can't believe it's been an hour. I know. It doesn't feel like <laughs> it. But no. Well, all I can say is to you two, happy Christmas. Yeah. And wishing you all the best for the new year. And I'm looking forward to seeing you in the new year. Yes. And uh, yeah. Yes, happy you. Christmas to everyone who listens. Merry Christmas, everyone. And Christmas, yeah, have a everyone. restful break. And yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Look forward to whatever we've got planned in the new year. Exciting stuff. Thank you both. Thanks, guys.